I'm going to invite you to use your imagination right here and place yourself in this scene. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7 says this. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Then boom, the world changed. From that moment on, the the world was different. There there was something new in the world. What, What a huge moment. And just picture this. Like, Remember, you're in the scene right now. Nobody is capturing it on an iPhone. Like, nobody's recording it, nobody took any pictures, nothing. The only thing that is there is a few humans that saw it with their own eyes, and then something starts to happen. They, they do the, like, historical version of making something go viral. Like, they start telling other people what they saw and what they heard, and there are all these whispers that, that are happening, like, you know that... That Jesus, the one that we saw dead and crucified, like, he is alive now. Like, he, he's, he's out there interacting in the world. Yeah, like, we just saw him, and he was hanging out with his friends, like, eating fish. Like, Jesus is just out there chilling with his friends. Like, this guy that was, that was dead, he was, he was in the ground, and now he is alive, and and what was happening in this time? Like, what could people have been saying? Like, who is this person? Who is this, this man that, that I heard so much about, but now he's alive? Didn't he say that he would die and then come back? Like, could this be the one that we've been waiting for, that we've heard so much about? Is this the one that God had promised that's going to take away the sins of the world? Like, and I think if we just put it in the context of, like, these whispers spreading throughout, like we put ourselves in that story and we see that it's the beginning of a movement that passed from one person to the next, telling the story that they'd seen about the resurrection of Jesus. And the next thing you know, history is made. It brings us to a place where we are sitting in a church 2,000 years later talking about the resurrection of a guy that was crucified by the Romans. This is a movement. See, here we are at Austin Oaks Church, and we claim to be a church that is simply about Jesus. And we want to help people meet, know, and follow him. And we believe that when that happens, when you meet, know, and follow Jesus, that it changes everything. And our belief in Jesus, our belief that we are solely about Jesus, hinges on the fact that he came out of the grave that he is alive today, 
And Easter is the reason that I am going to ask you this question today. What do you believe about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? I believe that this question is, is, is an important question for all of us to wrestle with, but when I ask you this question, there's, there's not really a, it's kind of rhetorical, like you're not shouting back to me the answers right here, like you're, you're kind of getting to process it, you're like, oh yes, like I'll think about that, that's very good. Well, it reminds me of a time where somebody directly asked me that question, and it was a bit more awkward, like in a in a conversation, somebody got very intense and asked me that question. I'm going to tell you that story now. So, 22 years ago, I was a, I was a uh, sophomore junior at Rice University, where the Rice is a small uh, uh, liberal uh, research institution that's focused on sciences and arts. And uh, I, I went to Rice being a, a follower of Jesus, but I wasn't quite prepared for the... Um, academic rigor of a school like that, um, or the social pressures of a school like that, and um, uh, my faith wasn't quite uh, in that place. But being a Christian, I, I started to engage in a, in a few Christian organizations, and through that, I was able to meet somebody by the name of Dr. James Tour. Dr. Tour is, is, is a scientist in the chemistry department. As you can see, he's very sciencey in this picture. <laughs> Um, that's him. Uh, I think those are eye protectors that he's got in his hand, not actual like reading glasses or anything. But uh, he he like tangibly does like scientific research. And um, I found out about Dr. Tour that he was he's also a believer. And at Rice, that was it was actually difficult to find professors, especially in the science department, that were followers of Jesus. Well. We interacted with each other at one point, and, and he invited me to lunch. Well, when, when, he, when I say me, he invited this guy to lunch. Um, whoa, I didn't expect cat calls. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you, but calm down. <laughs> wow, you guys are weird. <laughs> Man, uh, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> kind of blushing. <laughs> guys, he, he invited, Dr. Tour, scientist guy, invited this guy to go to lunch. And uh, I got to go to the, the faculty uh, uh, lunchroom, the dining hall that was there, and, uh, which is a whole nother story about how unique of an experience that is. But um, I, I went to have lunch with him, and, and, and we were briefly having casual conversation in the all of a sudden, his demeanor changes, and he leans in, and he just looks straight at me in the eye and goes, what do you believe about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? <laughs> and I, I tell you, every bit of knowledge from my 20-ish years of growing up, like from church world, like went straight into my brain and then went immediately out of my brain. And then I stumbled into this answer right here. I mean, you know, um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, without, without it, we wouldn't get to go to heaven. So, yeah. Direct quote. <laughs> Direct quote right there. Um, and with, with kindness, not, not with frustration in his eyes, 
with kindness in his eyes, his demeanor changed back, and we had a lovely conversation about the, our spiritual journey and, and what God had done in our lives, and, and uh, you know, the meal finished, and um, we never talked again. Um, it, was, it was very lovely. I'm not, that's not a knock on him at all. But what I find most interesting about this is his, his intentionality. You see, like, I, di- I didn't find out this until later, but he actually, I found this out later when talking to a friend, he asks everybody he interacts with this question, whether they are a believer or not a believer. And he works in this academic world, right? He, he sits down and he has this intentional conversation with them. And he's like, what do you believe about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? So he's, he's intentional about it. The second thing is this. He's like super famous. He's, he's like, not joking, researched this last week, top 10 chemists in the world, top 50 most influential scientists in the world, like uh, invented numerous nanotechnology things. I, I don't even know what those words mean. Um, <laughs> He, he is the inventor of, of nanotechnology that helps with, like, molecular biology. He, he's, he's, he's using it for medicine and creating carbon nanotubes that's helping with, make stronger material. You see, when, when he asked me this question, I think that in his sciency brain, when he goes, what do you think about the physical resurrection, he was wanting to talk about what, what happened at the molecular and genetic level of Jesus Christ's resurrected body? You see, he, he had this intentionality and invested deeply in the understanding of what the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ means. And so when he looked me in the eyes and asked me that question, it's most remarkable because this guy is he loves science and what science can do for humanity. He, he works with NASA and creates uh, stronger and more flexible materials that, that man can explore the universe. He works in the medical world and uh, creating these nanotech to, to help fight disease. But what he considers of most importance is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He thinks deeply about this, and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing today. And as we look at the scripture right now um, that that, that we're going to come to today, it's going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to look at this because Paul is going to show us something that he was wanting to show this church. And so if you want to join me, we're going to read the first eight verses of chapter 15. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, 
he appeared also to me. See, 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul is writing to a church that's it's 20 years after the resurrection happened and, and the church has grown and it's spread and it's, it's moving across the world. And he wanted to highlight and, and focus on this, this foundational principle. But this church was going through some, some conflict and some strife and they were dealing with issues within their church. And there were even some that were in the church that were asking the question, that were doubting the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You can see that in verses 12, 13, and 14 if you wanted to look. But he lands on this point, and, I, and he wanted to bring great clarity to it. And in crafting this letter, it, it was clear that he believed that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ was of utmost importance. And so maybe I'm going out on a limb here and, and, and saying that there's probably some of us in this room that are even asking that same question. That is the resurrection real? Is, is it even necessary for me to believe And I believe that in this passage, Paul makes a compelling argument that speaks to all of us. See, we're going to look at the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the Christian faith, and we're going to look at it in three ways. The resurrection is of first importance. The resurrection is our core belief in what we need. And the resurrection is true and reliable. And I want to start by by talking about what is of first importance and if there's, if there's something that, just looking at the concept of, of what verse 1 there says, there's something I, I don't like, and, and I'm sure that some of you are like this. Um, I don't love repeating myself over and over and over again. Um, I was able to work with middle school kids for a long time. Guess what I had to do? I had to repeat myself over and over and over again. And I love middle school kids. They are so much fun to be around. There are probably some in this room right now that were in the middle school group that I led. Sorry, I'm about to say this. Um, We would go on trips, and I would have to repeat myself saying things like, hey, when you drop food on the floor, don't step on it. (laughs) Just something that simple. You know, and that... Working with middle schools, school kids like that prepared me for having three children of my own. I have three boys, all under the age of 12. And um, the amount of times that I have to repeat the things like, hey, how many times do I have to tell you to clean up your room? Or how many times do I have to tell you not to eat food out of the trash? Or how many times do I have to tell you to wear pants when guests are over? Like... <laughs> I I find myself saying these things over and over again, but like I I don't want to be known for that because like those aren't like the most important things I would say. I I I want to repeat the things and I want to be remembered by the the things that I would consider of most importance. I want my boys to hear me say over and over again that I love them. I want them to hear me say to them that I enjoy being with them. I want, to hear, I want them to hear me say that, that Jesus loves them. You see, the things that I want to repeat and are worth repeating are the things of utmost importance. And I think that's what Paul is doing here in the first three verses. He says, now I remind you, saying to them again what he's already told them, brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. And then it goes on in verse 3 and it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received. So you see, Paul is bringing to them what they've already been told. He's reminding them of the good news that was already taught to them. In fact, in saying gospel and uh, the gospel I preach, it's, it's like reiterating the good news that I presented to you as good news. He is emphatically saying this is something worth repeating. And guys, I, I want to put it in this way. Like, if there is anybody in here that, that has a spouse, that on the day of your wedding, you said, I love you, and haven't said it at all since that day, I would like to offer counseling for you. <laughs> I would just invite you to come and let's have a conversation about why you wouldn't say that anymore. Isn't it of most importance to remind them of your love? Even if they haven't forgotten about it, it's, it's beneficial to present that to them, to be reminded of the affection that is there. You see, even what we are doing today here on Easter Sunday is something that God ordained in his scriptures that we would remember yearly, that we would take time to be reminded every year of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, that we don't just do it once and forget. And it's not that we would forget it's that we would remember the feeling that we have there, that we would, that we would um, remember what we've received and remember the great importance of it. You see, in verse 3, Paul highlights that he brings this back to them. He, he takes it back to them. Why? Because it's of first importance. You see, the message of the resurrection of Jesus is of utmost importance to this church, and to all of us. The message is a great value worth receiving, and it's a great value worth giving, and it's worthy of being repeated. And so I'm going to let our church know that if, if you come here regularly, if this, is, if this is something that you do on a regular basis, I'm going to present the gospel. I'm going to speak what the truth of that gospel is and, and let that be a reminder. Let that be a joy for you. Let that be a, a whisper of God saying to you, I love you this much. And if this is the first time that you, hear, you are hearing it, I want you to know that this is a message that's for you as well. Because the next part that we're going to look at is going to talk about the resurrection is our core belief in what we need. The resurrection is of great importance, but it's also a core belief in what we need. So for those of you who don't know much about Christianity, these next three verses are going to kind of like summarize what the, the core beliefs, the, the heart of, of the Bible is all about. And, and, and I want you to walk away with that. And, and in fact, these, these next uh, three verses are, are kind of a, it's, it's actually an early church creed. Like a, something, not, not the band, um, not like that would take you higher. That was for that was for that guy that was up on the, the that guy up there earlier. He worked out to that. This guy doesn't do that anymore. Um, but this this creed that we're talking about that's going to be in verses three, four, and five is actually a, a, the, a belief statement that the early church would repeat over and over again as a core belief. That's long before Paul was even writing this letter to the church. And, I, and so I want to just kind of show it to you. This was so exciting this last week when, when, when I was able to look at it. And, and it says this. 
It says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. And you see that structure right there, that, that there's a statement in accordance with the scriptures, and then there's, there's another statement. And then the next one is this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And in both of these statements, these are, this is two parts, we're going to examine them individually, but in both of them, the first statement is, is affirmed, and it's like, and we can believe it by the second statement affirming it. And so we're going to look at that in a, a little bit further, but we're going to look at this first part right now, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried. And there's three things that we're going to have to point out here. One is God's plan. Two is going to be our sinfulness, and three is going to be Jesus' fulfillment. You see, God's plan is clear in the scriptures. The God who is per perfect is providing a way that, that we as messed up and broken people can be in a relationship with him. That this was God's plan throughout history to provide a way for us to be with him forever, even though we are broken and messed up. He did this through his perfect son, Jesus Christ. You see, in the verse right there where it says that Christ died, that's actually highlighting that, that, that God's plan is written down and given in the Old Testament, in the, in the previous books of the Bible, and it's saying this Christ, which, which means the promised one, the Messiah, it's, it's, it's talking about the promised one died for our sins, and that we believe that, that this is all a part of God's plan, and that Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the one that God would send to save humans. Jesus is the one that fits every prophecy, fits every instance of what that Christ would be. He is the perfect fulfillment of that. And so this is all part of God's plan. The second one is, is, is our sinfulness. And we just spent the past four weeks talking about sin and, and sin in our lives and what sin does in the world and, and, and what the destiny of sin is. And and I could summarize it like this. All of us are sinful. All of us have made mistakes. So, like when we make a mistake, when we, when we lie, when we reject God's plan, when we lose our cool, when we uh, say things that hurt somebody else, when we do things that hurt other people with our actions, with our words, whatever it might be, we are actually rejecting God's goodness and that separates us from him. And that separation from God costs us something and that is death. You see, we all reject God. We reject his goodness. We reject um, his holiness. And we sin, and that deserves one thing, and that is death and separation. But Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And, and so why did Christ have to die? Well, in the Old Testament, God actually provided a way for humans to, to be able to interact with God, even though they were they were still broken and messed up. The, through a small way, through, through a, a symbolic way, through, through a tangible way that humans could still interact with God, but it was going to cost the life of something. And in the Old Testament, God provided that, that it would be animals. Animals could pay the price, where, whether it was sheep or, or lambs or goats or rams, whatever it might be. The blood of that animal would, would cover the sins of God's people, that they might be able to, to worship him, that they might be able to be in a relationship with him still. But animals could only do so much. In the New Testament, God provided a new and perfect sacrifice. You see, Jesus would become the perfect sacrifice to take the punishment for all of our sins. 
And so that when this creed says this statement, this this deep statement that Christ died for our sins, there's so much weightiness in that. There's so much theological truth and understanding of ourselves and who God is in the midst of that. But it boils down to this, that our rejection of God's plan and his goodness has one result, and that result is death. But in God's mercy, in his kindness, he gave us space to know God's goodness, to remember God's goodness, to see our sinfulness. And then the last part is that in God's grace, he provided Jesus. The perfect sacrifice that, that by the shedding of his blood, by, the, by his death, that, that that blood might cover us, that we might be able to have a relationship with God. That Jesus took the place for my sin. From the very beginning and all throughout God's word, God's plan was that Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. This, con- this concept is summarized in, in the verse that so many of us know already. John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we go back to our the first statement of our creed and it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and then it affirms, it affirms this right here. It sounds redundant, but Christ died for our sins and we know that he died because he was buried. But what it hints at, what, it, what it's trying to communicate there is that Jesus legitimately died it is saying that, that he was buried. It was emphasizing the reality and finality of that death, that Christ died for our sins, that, that he was so dead that he had to be buried. It's not like he was merely faking it or looking dead or mostly dead. He was buried and in the ground. For, the, for there to be a resurrection, there must be true death. The burial signified the tangible reality that Jesus died. In Mark 15, we see the, the Roman centurion confirm that, that Jesus was dead. A Roman centurion who is an expert in death, he confirmed that Jesus died. And in John chapter 19, we see that a soldier pierced Jesus' side and blood and water flowed, uh, something that only happens in death. And the story of the burial itself is to make clear that there was no life left in that body. The brutality of the cross, the pierced side, the centurion's confession, the tomb that was sealed and guarded, all of these things affirmed the truth that Jesus died. The death is necessary for the resurrection to be a reality. So now we get to move to the fun part, right? That's, that's the heavy part. Now we're moving to the fun part. This is the crux of this whole message. You see that like, if Jesus was only a person that, that had lived an interesting life and died in an interesting way, that that doesn't mean much. There's lots of people that, that did that. But that there is this second part, hints that, that there's more to the story, that there's something else. It says this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. You see, this is all a part of God's plan. Jesus himself said, he's like, hey, I'm going to suffer and die, and then I'm going to come back. And the scriptures even talked about it in the promised Messiah. You look at Isaiah 53 and you see the picture of that. This is all fulfilled in Jesus. You see, Paul is begging 
this church, in uh, the Corinthian church, he's saying, trust God's plan. Believe God's promises. You see, when, when we deny the resurrection, we're actually denying God's word. We're calling God a liar. We're we are actually questioning his goodness. But when we declare that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, we are affirming and, and proclaiming his word to be true. We are trusting in his goodness. And we are declaring God's promises to be sure. See, we are agreeing that this lifeless body that had no breath, that was dead and still came to life, was whole, was pure, was right, was perfect. This could only be done by a work of God. You see, I see Paul saying to this church, like, how could you not believe this part? This is, this is the message that I was communicating to you. This is the story of the gospel. This is the good news. You see, the resurrection affirmed everything that Jesus had said and done. It affirmed that he was the perfect sacrifice that could take the place of our sins. He is the most important. It affirmed that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, the resurrection concerned everything. Because who has the power over life and death other than God? The resurrection is the heart of the gospel that Paul preached. And it's what we proclaim here at AOC. And it's why we are simply about Jesus. It is because on the third day, he was raised. Now, just like the first statement, the second statement says, like, he was raised on the third day. And we can say that because he appeared to Cephas and then the 12. He, he appeared before friends. You see, Paul is making it abundantly clear that the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus are central components to the Christian belief. So today, on Easter Sunday, a day that, that you're saying, hey, I'm going I'm to go to church, I'm going to be a part of this community. If somebody were to say to you, why do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? My hope would be that you would say that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to his friends. This is what we believe. This is the heart of the gospel, and this is what I want you to walk away with today. So what do we believe about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that is of utmost importance it's what we need most, and it's our core belief. So now we're going to look at the resurrection as, as being true and reliable, and, and it's something that we can put our confidence in and, and, and actually trust it by examining the evidence. And, and I, there are many people out there that try to say that, that Christianity and, and science can't interact, that, that they're at odds with one another, and and they'll hear the story of the resurrection and automatically decide that this is impossible. And I just invite you folks to do what Dr. Tour did in, in his life. And he examined the deep things of the resurrection and, and he found that, that God was there. You see, God is the one that created the universe and he put the, the smallest particles together in the, the, the biggest galaxies and he, he threw them out there and caused them to interact and, and he gave us the ability to even examine that and look at it and study it and know it and learn it. And that doesn't mean that we're at odds with God to know that and affirm it and teach that. 
But God is also the one that can work within the natural universe and, and do the supernatural. Because both the natural and the supernatural both attest to the same thing, that God is good. See, it's for this reason that God can give us the ability to investigate these things that I can say that the resurrection is reliable and is reasonable for us to believe and affirm. And Paul even gives us an example of this in this passage. You see, after finishing this statement about Christ's death and and his resurrection, he goes further and and adds evidence and, and, and opens the door for the Corinthian church to actually go find out more information. So verse 6 says this, it says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. You see, to the people of the Corinthian church that were questioning the truth of the resurrection, he offered up this evidence of, of these 500 people. He says, Hey, you know, Jesus, he legitimately died. We all agree with that. Like, we, we know that the Romans took care of that, put him in a tomb. We've, we've talked about it. You've, you've heard our evidence. You've heard what we've preached. But I'm going to go ahead and go a step further. There were 500 people that Jesus appeared to. They, they are still alive to this day. Like this, remember, this is 20 years after the resurrection. Like, they are still alive. Paul's saying, hey, they're still alive. And he's, he's inviting them to go ask them. He says, these 500 people saw Jesus do what living people do. He saw him eating, drinking, hanging out, talking, all those things. But why is this important? It's because he's in, invited us to do the same thing. Now let me, I'm going to give you like a, a kind of mini example of why this would be helpful or why this would work. And so like, it, is there anybody in here that's like around the age of 15? 15? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything. But <clears throat> this is what I'm going to say. Um, if you're 15 years old, in your entire existence, the world has had an iPhone. Like, isn't that weird? Like, in the palm of your hand, you've been able to call anybody on the planet, and you've been able to look up all information that our planet has gathered together. In the palm of your hand, you've had that in your entire existence. So, like, that's, that's just a reality. Now, I'm going to set that down, my fake iPhone, and I'm going to say, let, let's play out a hypothetical scenario. Let's say and assume that the electricity goes out in the entire world, and therefore there's no internet, nothing like that, and, like, a day's gone by, so all the phones are dead, right? Nobody, nobody can use a phone. You now have to have a real-life human interaction. <laughs> you have to talk to other human beings at this point, face-to-face. I mean, I guess you could yell it across the room or something, but, like, you have to have a conversation. And, like, in that interaction with a, with a 15-year-old, you start to regale them with tales of history and say, when I was a child, this is what it was like. And you tell them that 20 years ago, in everybody's house, there was a telephone on the wall that had a cord attached to that wall that didn't even charge that thing up. Like, everybody had one of those. And that 15-year-old is going to be like, whatever. I'm going to 
they pull up their phone and they start, and then you laugh at them because the phone's out of juice and they can't look anything up, right? So how do you then tell them about what phones were like back then? Like you could send them to the library and have them look up the Dewey Decimal System, but I don't think they know that either. Uh, no offense, guys, that's, that's archaic stuff, right? Um, or you can tell them like, hey, Go talk to anybody that was there. Go talk to anybody that lived through that. Go talk to your grandparents and they'll tell you all the tales about the phones that started out by cranking it like this and talking to Betsy, the operator. And then you can go into the, the portable phones and you could talk about AOL and the, the screechy noises that came out through the phone. And they're gonna be blown away by the truth of what happened even though they weren't there and they couldn't find out the information. And, and after they hear it from one person and two person and three person, and they hear that same story over and over again, they're left with, well, I can, I can buy that. I can believe that. I don't have to have it on my phone to believe that. Guys, what Paul did in saying this is he gave them the opportunity to be like, go see if, test my words. Is there any deceit in me? Am I trying to, to trick you here? Am I trying to make you like fall for something that's just some joke? You see, this is not something that Paul would make up if he was trying to lie. He would say that everybody that saw Jesus is dead now. You can't even find out. You just got to trust me. But he said Jesus appeared before 500 folks. They're still alive. Go, go investigate. My guess is that there's some reality to that. There's some truth to that because here we are 2,000 years later when person after person told the story, the reliable truth of the gospel from one to the next, so much so they believed it that they would give their lives for it. You see, I believe that 2,000 years later that we're following a man that died he was buried, and then he rose on the third day. He was using the best evidence he had at the time, which was personal testimony, and he was offering it to them to investigate. So I'm asking you now, if you are one of these people that questions, that has doubts, that doesn't know if you can believe this, I'm, I'm, I'm just asking you to investigate it. You know, I've, I've studied history, and I've studied some archaeology, and I, and I know that that like historians and archaeologists can take little fragments of, of parchment and they can take little fragments of pottery and, and they can create some uh, understanding of ancient civilizations and, and they can actually say how this, this group of people lived and whether their leaders were good or bad or whatever. And with significantly less than what we have about Jesus, they will believe and teach. And so I'm inviting you to examine the plethora of information that we have about Jesus. I invite you to examine and pursue and look at the Gospels that are found in the Bible. You can read the historical accounts through historians like Josephus and uh, Tacitus. I, I think I said that right. I don't, I don't know. You can read books by, by authors like Lee Strobel and, and J. Warner Wallace. And I actually read a book by J. Warner Wallace this last week called Cold Case Christianity, where he looks at the evidence of the reliability of the accounts of Jesus.
I invite you to pursue this. I invite you to investigate. But at the end of the day, your relationship with Jesus is not going to hinge on the amount of information that you know about him any more than it changes your relationship with some information you know about a stranger. You see, the message of the gospel is a relationship with Jesus Christ and a belief in him and in his resurrection, and that is through faith. And my hope is that your research might lead you closer to him and in in that process that he might show up as you were searching. And I pray that God might open a way for you to know him. So I ask, what do you believe about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? My hope is that you can answer that it is true and reliable. The last verse in this passage says, uh, offers something unique for all of us. It says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The evidence of what God has done is not just seen in the cross or in the tomb or in the, the resurrection and the testimony of the people that saw it, but it's also seen in the evidence of Paul's life. Paul's very life is an example of what happened. You see, Paul was a person that didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, so much so that he was persecuting and and overseeing the death of Christians at the time. And then he had an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. And in that interaction with the resurrected Jesus, it changed everything. And today, all of us are having an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. We are presented with the truth of what his word says. We are presented with the evidence of what we see here in the scriptures that he has offered as a sacrifice in your place, that he did this out of obedience to God the Father and because of his great love for you. He was crucified and he was buried, but God saw it fit to raise him from the dead, declaring him to be Lord of all. So my question is, how do we respond to this? So if you're answering that question, if, if God is moving in your heart right now, if, if, if there is something that you're stirring up that you're like, hey, I, I, just, I probably want to find out more about this, then I, I just want you to grab somebody. Just go talk to somebody and say, like, hey, could the, could the Bible be true and reliable? Like, if, if this was a core belief, like, how might I need this? Like, what might my life need to look like? Or you could say, is it of most importance in your life. So if you're questioning, I invite you to pursue investigating this even further. If you are interested in it, I invite you to examine the core beliefs and look into the scriptures deeper. And if you are the one that claims this is first importance, if you were one of the people that's here and, and you're saying, yes, I stand on this truth, then my encouragement to you in, in light of the resurrection, considering it of first importance, to whom are you delivering this message to? You see, the message of the resurrection is for all of us. And at the core of the resurrection is this word, hope. That when this life is over, that it is not the end. That in the midst of the darkness of the tomb, that there is the light of life. That light of life is Jesus. 
So whatever darkness you are going through, whatever difficulty is there, I want you to know that there is hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that hope is, is encouraged in these last statements in, in chapter 15. And, and I'm going to read this and, and, and close out and, and we're going to pray and we're going to have one last time of worship. And I'm going to invite you to just examine this with me and, and, and hold on to the promise. Because if Christ is raised from the dead, then this promise of the resurrection is not just for, for Christ himself, but is offered to all of us. And this is what we get to receive. We get to receive the hope of this same resurrection. And it says this, starting in verse 54. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Pray with me, church. Lord, we thank you and we praise you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared before many. And that was all according to your plan, Lord, and that because of that, we might be able to have a hope in you. A hope in you that we wouldn't have apart. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of this time, Lord, that you would be working on our hearts. Lord, if there are people in here that are questioning or people in here that are, that are wondering where this could be true, or, Lord, I pray that you would continue to work on them. And God, for those that are yours, I pray that you would, you would empower us to live this out as of utmost importance. Because God, you are worth every bit of our life. So Lord, I thank you for your son and his resurrection on this Easter Sunday. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>